before we get into the conversation with Rob Phillips, just a little reminder what's coming up this weekend. Saturday the 2nd, winter's setting in, it's cold, it's wet. You're thinking, what am I going to do? I've got no plans. I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll sit back on the sofa, you'll put your feet up, have a little brew or a couple of couple of tinnies, a couple of cold ones, get the rugby on. Autumn International Series comes to an end. Wales play South Africa. It's been a disappointing series so far for the for the Welshmen, but they'll be hoping to put that right by beating the spring box. Kickoff is at 2.30, Saturday the 2nd, so join Gareth Rees-Owen and the crew from 2 o'clock, I think. Relax, enjoy it. And then, Sunday, what are you going to do? You've probably got a bit of a headache after having a few too many tinnies, enjoying and watching the rugby, watching the victory. Get S4C on again. From 2.30 onwards, 2.45 kickoff, Welsh Cup. Barry Town make the journey up north to Carnarvon. Join Dullan Ebenezer, terrific presenter, and the rest of the guys, Nick Parry, Malcolm Allen, Nicky John, Tommy Morgan, Mark Jones, myself, Owen Tidir Jones, we'll all be there. The gang will be there. Looking to see if the Covies can uh, have a little shock, a little upset in the cup, beat Barry from the Welsh Premier League. Promises to be a good one. They never let us down. Always exciting games at Carnarvon, at the Oval. Please join us, 2.30, Sunday the 3rd of December. Looking forward. Tate, right hand side of the field, plays it long and central to Akin Fenwa. Good ball through for Tinder Jones. Tinder Jones into the box. One on one with Andy Oak. Shoots and scores. Oh, I'm Tinder Jones. His first goal for Swansea City. A great through ball. He drew Andy Oaks and Swansea City are back in the lead. It's Walsall 2, Swansea City 3. Big welcome to the latest episode of the Longman's Football World. Coming up on this episode, we've got Rob Phillips. Gives us a little view into a journalist's world, following and working on football. Rob is, I think he's given himself this title, he's the chief football correspondent for BBC Wales. Works on getting the latest scoops, the latest stories. Um, works as a, as a commentator for the radio, sometimes the telly. Um, we get into how he got working in the industry. How he built himself up from from the working for the newspapers and then getting into the job within the radio that he that he's got now. Trips following Wales. How uh, he thinks he's got over over 200 caps. Following Wales, home and away for many years now. Um, we talk about how the industry is changing. How there's a lot of ex-pros coming in and taking jobs of, of probably people like Rob who've who've worked their way up. They've got to go for the glamour, haven't they? Um, we did touch a little bit on, on Wales's current situation, but unfortunately it was recorded probably a day before Chris Coleman left for Sunderland, maybe two days. So um, that put a spanner in the works. Had to change the, the end just a little bit. Um, maybe getting deeper into, into the Wales setup and maybe the next manager could be done with, uh, with another conversation. But always a pleasure to, to talk to Rob 
so, so keen on his football, loves the game, loves his job. And I think that becomes evident while listening to him talk. So, episode six, Rob Phillips, enjoy. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen About his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace Now it's a long shot Phillips, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What a pleasure this is. Yeah, I think we've uh, we must have known each other now for thinking back, signing for Swansea when I was twenty. Best part of thirteen years. This has got to be the first time where I'm supposed to lead the uh, the conversation. It's a bit different. Isn't it? Well, I'm used to interviewing you up to a point because, of course, often you are the preserve of Welsh language uh, reporters, and unfortunately, much to my shame, sometimes I don't speak God's language. Uh, although I uh, I understand a bit more than some people uh, realise sometimes. Yeah, well, I th- do you know what? I think I know that about you. I, I'm one that likes to suss people out. I'll have a little look and I, I sometimes look at little Rob Phillips in the corner. I think, he knows what's going on here. He's, he's, he's listening in. You might make out he doesn't know what's going on. I like to uh, like to, to keep track on what people are saying and, and what people are thinking. But no, um, interesting new concept for you, fair play. It is new, actually. It's um, well, it's new for me. Anyway, it's, it's just a way of hopefully developing skills and stuff like that, and, and talking football. I think uh, there's not much you like to do better than, than that's talking the best football. bit, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, when well, I, I've said it so often, I am really fortunate to do the job I do because my whole life is effectively about football, mm. and. Um, I'm not just saying this because I, I do really feel it. I, I, I almost feel it's a privilege to do and I, I get paid. I, do you know, I cannot ever think of a time, not even before I was doing this particular job, can I ever think of a time where I woke up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm not really, don't want to go to work today because the, the work is, is what I actually love to do. And, you know, you've sat by me in commentary and see the notes I do and all this sort of stuff. And people think it's just, pleasure well it is but also it's a part of the job as well so you got happy put, days you got to put the work in I think um, it doesn't matter what you do if you're a commentator co-commentator less so but still you have to do the work because you can only wing it for so long would that be, would yeah. that be right do you know John Hardy once said 
uh, that if you do preparation for a game, yeah. he said, you may not use 90% of it, but you waste nothing. Yeah. And I think that's a really good rule. And sometimes I, I sort of over-prepare in a way. And I almost get embarrassed sometimes giving out stats and things like that. But um, it has to be done because I think the best commentators, you can always tell they're well-prepared and they... But most of all, they've got a love for the game, and I think that's, that's a lot of it as well. You, you, I don't care. I'm really lucky, not only the job I do, but in, in that it's just me that if I go and watch, if I'm, if I'm covering Wrexham, to me it's just as important as covering Swansea City. It's just so much, not important, that's the wrong word, it's so much of an event. Yeah. I, I feel every football game is an event, and sometimes, you know, I, you don't have to professionally look at it, like you, when you and I are chatting over a, a meal when we're on a Wales game, travelling abroad or whatever, we're not professional then, are we? We're just, we're just like ordinary. Well, we are ordinary people, just doing something we love. Well, it's actually, it's weird. I've, you know, I listen to a few podcasts and mm. stuff like that, and and you listen to different people's opinions, and it, it's a, it's a true one actually. Where, you know, I, I don't know if you have plans to create your own little podcast in the future, whether that's for the BBC or. or by yourself I just think it's it's a good idea because it doesn't matter how many listeners you get obviously everyone's got an ego and it would be great to have the most popular podcast but I think starting small it doesn't matter if you've got 20 people listening 50 100 even if it's two the idea is that you put this in front of us press record and especially in this day and age in 2017 where people don't talk really. No. You know, we, we would maybe come here for lunch, talk a little bit of football, but I'd be on my phone, I'd be checking Twitter, um, you'd be checking your emails for work for the next <laughs> scoop and stuff like that. So I think it, it just opens up, you know, a whole world of just conversation almost. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the escape of a game as well, isn't it? That you cannot look through your... Well, actually, I do sometimes look through my Twitter feed while I'm at a game because sometimes... It's brilliant. It's a whole new concept that people are interacting with what you've said. Yeah. So you're not just broadcasting or whatever. You get this as well. You'll say something and then if you glance down at your Twitter feed, suddenly there's people reacting to what, what you've just said, maybe disagreeing, maybe agreeing, maybe saying how rubbish it is or whatever. But that's a whole new new ball game, if you pardon the pun. Uh, and it's fantastic. I remember, I remember the first time I really... Uh, heard this in operation, sad as I am, I was on a Friday night, I think it was up in Middlesbrough or something like that, and um, Hull City were playing, and I listened to the Radio Humberside commentary, there's a guy called Dave Burns, who's a bit of a legend in Humberside, covered Hull City for years and years, and he was doing the commentary, and he was actually doing the commentating, but also saying, so-and-so is, on, the, is uh, on Twitter says this and that about Hull City's performance. And I thought, wow, that is different. I've never heard that before. Yeah. You know, you can't do it on TV or whatever, but on radio, I often throw in... Just opens it up. Yeah, because the fans' view is just as important as, as mine, sometimes more important, because they're speaking with sometimes more authority than we do. Mm. You know, I always say... My job as a as a commentator is to say what happened, and yours when you're a summariser is to tell me why, mm -hmm. because I haven't played the game like you did, just as well because I would have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I 
How did it start for you? You know, did you have a love of football growing up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did you have a play or was it? And then was it the next step into, uh, you know, college for journalism or, or did you just find a job somewhere? I, I grew up in Ponty, Pontypridd. I better not say Ponty because there's so many Ponties around Wales, isn't there? But uh, grew up in Pontypridd, and I st- and I was always keen on football, but. Because of my size, I was never very good. But I did play for Pontypridd YMCA. Of your size. Well, Just yeah, and your also size. I was scared, <laughs> which doesn't help, does it? Yeah. Um, so I, I had a couple of games for Pontypridd YMCA, and my my uh, coach was someone you know well. You see every home game at Cardiff City. Keith Cooper, the old Premier League referee. Yeah, he was the with coach. Son Steve. Yeah. Yeah, he was the coach at the at the YM, and I think he could see that I wasn't going to make it. But I was into sport and I got really lucky. I joined the, I didn't go to college. Mm. I left, passed my A-levels, knew I had a job in the January with the, with Celtic Press, but most particularly Pontypridd Observer, Ron the Leader, Lantrisson Observer. And I had a deal, you had to do two and a half years of training where you do everything, court cases, murders, not committing them, but covering them, uh, council, sport, did everything. And I had a deal with the editor, said, well, if I pass, become a qualified journalist, I'll move on to sport. And that's what I did from as early a day as possible. And um, I still stay in touch with some of the clubs now. My, my beat was the Ron, the blind Ron, the football club, Tom Pentra, who were a good big side at that time, mm. Ferndale, Ponderclean, uh, Tafswell, and uh, Anisabal, who became Ponderpreet Town yeah. eventually. Um, I had a brilliant time, go on trips, um, only for a weekly paper, but started a football column there as well. Uh, and it was, as I say, I still, I still got a tankard from Blind Rondo from when I first covered them. And they, when I left, they gave me this inscribed tankard. And my first crisis meeting was at Tom Pendra. Got called up to the club for a weren't happy with what I'd been saying in the Ron the Leader. And the thing about the Ron the Leader was, it was absolutely gospel, whatever you wrote there. Yeah. That was, you know, that, that was the truth. They called it the Ron the Liar, but it was actually, if it's in the leader, it must be true. And uh, i never forget, went up to Tom Pedro on a Friday night. And uh, they, had, they had twins who used to serve tea and coffee every, every game in the little stand at Annis Park. And I had to wait outside this room for the for the top three honchos at the club to have their uh, to have their get together, and then they would see me, the the local reporter, and the the twins were uh, brothers. They were they were they were fine, and then they get they'll see you now. Okay. And I walked into the hierarchy of Tom Pendra, uh, Paul Willoughby, Jeff Orrells, John Thomas. Uh, what were they? Secretary. Chairman, treasurer, the top guys at Tom Pendra, mm. and didn't they give me an absolute battering? Really? Yeah, yeah, they were very unhappy, but we we got over that, and I'm still I was friends with them, you know, uh, sort of lost touch a bit, but uh, great days, great days. It's a weird one, really. I, I don't know. I suppose that's what newspapers are. You, you're talking about it being the gospel for the fans and stuff like that. Um, you know, playing for Swansea, whether it's the South Wales thing or, or, or everywhere. And um, I used to have friends and friends' dads who never went to watch Swansea. You're talking hadn't been for 10, 15 years. 
and I was playing for them and they'd be telling me, ah, this fella, he's no good, he shouldn't be playing. Akin Fenwa, he's this, he's that, he shouldn't be playing. Exactly what they've read in the newspaper. It is, and I, I still think it's that now, despite the online presence these days. Um, you know, eventually when I moved on to the Echo, uh, you could write whatever you wanted, uh, covering Cardiff and Wales and Merthyr. Um, I'd been to the Argus as well, covering Newport County, which was my dream as a kid to cover Newport County. And I, I sort of did that, which was fantastic, even though it was when they were going out of business, basically. Yeah. But interesting what you say about how people looked at the local paper on the Echo. After a few years there, they started to, first time I'd ever experienced it, they wanted marks out of 10 for the players. And there was a guy called Ian Rogerson. Do you remember him? I right back, yeah. went to Hereford as a physio uh, okay. at the end of his playing days. And he had me up against the wall. And uh, I think I'd given him a two. Mm. I was not afraid to give twos. That's harsh. Uh, that, that <laughs> I did. I thought, well, if you're going to be honest. And I gave him all 10 one day when they got promoted at Scunthorpe. But um, I gave him a two in the following, the following game. He had me against the wall saying, and, and his point was, when he calmed down, his point was, if you're away from home, and he said, if you give me a two away from home, people just read the echo, as yeah. it was, and they take that as, as the gospel. So therefore, I must have been terrible, but it's only your opinion. I said, well, ex exactly. But it's, it is part of it, but that, that was my exact next point. That's what I was going to say. Do you know who else reads the papers? Players. Yeah. You know? And, well, the bigger newspapers... When I was playing, you'd have stuff like the News of the World. There was nobody there to mark, I, I don't think. I think, it, you know, if you're talking about a League One game, was there somebody there or is it somebody at a computer just six, Oh, no, no, six, there's always a, there was always a freelance there. But um, the late Ken Gorman, you remember Ken, yeah. used to cover Wales games. He would do News of the World, uh, Daily Star, whatever. And he would, um, great, great journalist, fantastic guy. But he always told me, you never give less than a four, Rob, because otherwise the players won't speak to you. Well, they won't speak to you. Um, I think, was it after one Wales game, one of the BBC guys, I think Dav Pritch, I don't know if he still does it or he did, did it for a time. Mm. And um, whether it was a mark or, or just, just harsh criticism, his opinion um, on, on one or two of the Wales players. And I think a member of the coaching staff went up to him in the airport and approached him, not... <laughs> Not grabbing him by the throat. Nobody would ever do that to Dav. But just letting him know that we're reading this. You know, this is not just the fans who are seeing this. And maybe just planting a little seed in Dav's mind. You know, he, he's, he's professional. He'll always give his, his opinion, of course. But does it plant a little seed? I thought it was a clever play by, by the, the member of staff, really. Just, just to make him think, maybe, oh, bloody hell. I've actually had a Wales player ring me um, years ago. Neil Slatter. Okay. Do you remember Neil Slatter, fullback? I think it was Oxford. Uh, I forget where else he was. Uh, I've been away uh, on an away game. It was a Tuesday night game. I was back in the uh, Echo office on the Wednesday, and this phone call came in, and he uh, he didn't like the mark I gave him. Um, yeah, it's football's an opinions game. Yeah, isn't it? and you have to remember, it's tomorrow's chip paper. Yeah. So. Worst thing online, it's still there. The great thing about radio is you can make comments on radio. Unless they've heard it, it's very rare that they'll go back on the iPlayer and listen to what you've said if it's there. Yeah. So uh, but it's just all part of it. It has altered 
has altered relationships though with players I think because you know players do remember if you gave them absolutely really bad marks or if you especially over a period of time because as you said it, it influences supporters and I think um, sometimes players will look at it and you know fans journalists everyone has an opinion that's that's the beauty of football sometimes players will look at it if you've got a chip on your shoulder and you think how is this guy you know marking me and I refer back to um, when we were out in France for, for the Euros and we had a couple of games of beach football didn't we and yeah. uh, I think the first one I didn't play I, I think I watched maybe I was working and, and then came in late and I watched the game and I thought I would love nothing more now than for the Wales <laughs> squad to come and watch and just just start shouting I didn't play in that game just I was a little tasty side. you know yeah exactly uh, just to, just to you give them a little right in that game but that was the second one and, and do, do you know what though it's, a, it's another thing you know journalists and stuff like that I think sometimes they don't, maybe don't realise that there's levels to this football game instead of thinking top level Premier League outstanding if you're in League One useless and I'm not saying you know when, when Wales have had players from League One League Two it doesn't look good it, you know you want players playing at a high, as high a level as possible but, but that peach football game that I played in I, I'll never forget it before the game a lot of the journalists you know the BBC guys brilliant like, we all get on fine a lot of the newspaper guys for the big newspapers over in England and stuff I never spoke to them you know never no. spoke to them. I, I wasn't even on their radar not even to say hello to <laughs> I remember yeah? remember when Bobby Gould was uh, in charge of Wales yeah he organised a game between Wales and the press at Qumran Stadium. Yeah. I think it was before Germany match. Okay. Thought it'd be good preparation for Wales. He was different, Bobby. Almost just after kickoff, Dean Saunders went straight through John Richardson, okay. who uh, used to work then for the Sun. And uh, I think he was hobbling around for weeks, really? Rico. And, and Dino just, it was a laugh. He didn't do any, you know, he didn't, he didn't seriously go, because a, a footballer could injure a press man yeah. playing football, couldn't he? But, oh, he really... He, I think Chris O'Leary maybe... I think Chris O'Leary smashed Owen here from the BBC or he? someone, yeah. Someone was hobbling for a while, but my, my point for He's the... He's a big lump to have smashed. He is a big boy. <laughs> but um, my point for the journalist in, in that game, before, just a game of beach football messing about, I, I wouldn't even say hello. We, we'd have nothing, no... And then after the game, where obviously as an ex-professional... Maybe I didn't register on their mind because I wasn't a top-level footballer. And they realised, oh, bloody hell, there's, there's levels to this there football game. There is a difference, They all wanted there, to yeah. be my best mate after. Yeah. They all wanted to talk to me, you know, over, over a drink and stuff. So it, it just is what it is, I guess, isn't it? Um, you're talking there about Bobby Gould. Mm. You've seen it all, I guess. When, when was your first, first Wales game? You count your, count your caps, don't you? Uh, do you know, I, I sort of lost count. I, the first game I can remember covering was on the Argus. Yeah. I used to go. I, I was. Um, I saw Wales against Yugoslavia in '76. I remember. Um, I don't know the word you use, but I remember Mitching uh, taking time off okay. when I should have been at a Shakespeare um, seminar. I think it was in the middle of Cardiff. My dad picked me up so we could go to the game in the afternoon. So I mitched off the seminar. To go to the game, um, so that was an. I used to watch. I saw Wales lose to Scotland in at Nenian Park the night Joe Joe uh, Jockstein died, mm -hmm. um, 
and then my first game I can actually remember going to cover was I think it was Uruguay at the race course right um, I think that was it or it may have been Holland at the race course where Mark Bowen scored okay um, so those sort of things sort of they all sort of merge into but I've been covering Wales a, a long time I mean if you look been over 30 years um, in, off and on in newspapers and radio yeah, yeah so um, and TV so I, I, I haven't seen every game in that time but I haven't missed too many particularly once I got on the Echo which was uh, 1987 because for 10 years then I was swapping with I was either going on every game yeah. or swapping with Carl Woodward, who was on the Western Mail. You remember yeah. Carl, a legend of, uh, of covering Wales. And they were brilliant days. And then the BBC, uh, been lucky enough to go on many of the, the games as well. So I haven't missed many. I, I'm, I'd say, well, I'm probably around, I don't know. I think I'm over 200 games. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Good going, isn't it? Yeah, it's makes it's, a mockery of Gunter. It's still the best thing I do. Yeah. That, that's the point. What well, people, I've always said, the biggest thing I do is Wales. So that's always been the case. All always, time. even when they were, even when uh, Swansea got the Premier League, which which is just joyous for me. I mean, yeah. whoever could have thought we'd be covering Premier League football with the Welsh club and then one year we had Cardiff and Swansea in the Premier League uh, even FA Cup finals League Cup finals I've always thought Wales is the pinnacle because I don't see that the players can be any better than 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 what I've seen mm. so you know I've seen Maldini I've seen Careca play for Brazil and all those sort of players so it's always been the, the top I've always thought it was the top because week to week, the Premier League is just outstanding. I've always, again, I've always said, because I love La Liga, so if you can't get in La Liga, then the Premier League is the best league yeah. you can watch. Um, you obviously don't watch Scoria. No, I do. Actually, I, <laughs> I do sometimes, yeah. No, I, it's... it's um, yeah, Wales has always been the top. And, of course, Euro 2016 was... For me, it, so far, it? the best of a best thing I've ever covered, and the most the most emotional thing I've ever covered as well, because yeah. that was more than just football. Yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I have had emotional club games. You know, you don't forget Swansea going up through the playoffs in, in the playoff final. Um, I'll never forget. And you can imagine with me having been born in Newport, always wanted to cover Newport County as a kid. Did so on the Argus. And then they went out of business just after I'd left the Argus. And then 25 years later, I'm covering Newport County, or just over 25 years, covering Newport County at Wembley for the chance to get back in the Football League. Newport County AFC, in case David Hando, the president, is listening. Um, that, to me, was really emotional, really emotional. And it's, I can tell you, it's one of the very few games where I've actually sort of partly scripted an end. Right because it was against Wrexham. Mm. Loads of time for the Wrexham people. Geraint Parry, one of the nicest people in football. Newport County, club I've had an association with for virtually all my life. And I thought, if I get this bias one way or the other at the final whistle, 
I'm going to be in big trouble. So I'd sort of, I didn't script the exact script, but I had things planned to say. So it was absolutely equal amount of joy of Newport County or the other way around had it been, you know, um, desolation of Wrexham. I had it all planned ready and that's about the only time, I've, one of the very few occasions I've actually done that because I wanted to get it so right. But it was, it was special seeing Newport go back into the league. But Wales tops the lot. Oh yeah, the Wales Euros. does, yeah. yeah. And for you as well, surely. Uh, absolutely, of course. Um, you know, I, I'm not a stupid guy. I, I think my retirement came at a time where I, I had to retire. I couldn't, I couldn't bloody run anymore. Knee was done. But I also had one eye on what was happening with the Welsh squad and thinking, right, I think the qualifying campaign had just started. But knowing a few of the players and, and knowing some, something was happening, I'd, be, I'd been in that dressing room. Yeah. Something special was happening. And I kind of thought, right, nip this in the bud now, this play in Malarkey, because what I'm, what I'm going to be doing is scrambling about up in Scotland or whatever. And the lower you go, the less money you get. It's, it just wasn't worth it anymore. Mm. And then having half an eye on the, on, on the European Championships and thinking, if I retire a month before the Euro start, if Wales w- had qualified, I'm not going to be working. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I probably gave myself a year and a half think, thinking, looking ahead, seeing what was happening and thinking, that's a target for, for me. Not to make the squad, those days long gone, not, never quite on that level, but making sure that I was there in some capacity. Um, and it was amazing, you know, it, very different though, you know, we've worked together as commentators. Mm. I, I, I was a pundit over there and it's, it's different. I think when you commentate, co-commentate, you, have, you live in the game, don't you? You do, There's, yeah. It has to be more concentration, whereas a pundit, before the game, halftime, after the game, so you're free to watch it, almost like a fan. It's and, fantastic. And that's what we were. There's, there's pros and cons to both, I think. Yeah. I, I must admit, I still didn't realise just how big it was back home. You know, as the tournament went on, my daughter was FaceTiming me. What a difference that makes, by the way, FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was saying, Dad, she said, uh, I should have known after the first couple of games when uh, I've got three children, two boys, they're all grown up now. All uh, My daughter is the youngest at 19. And... Um, she she kept saying, you don't realise how big it is over here. Dad is getting really big. And then after a couple of games, she said, me and me and Tim, that's her brother, a middle one, we're going to the fan zone. Mm. Now, because of the job, I've hardly ever taken my children to games. The two boys were keen football fans to start with. They've been to the odd game. But if I was a bank manager, I wouldn't dream of taking a child to work. Mm. Football, games on a Saturday, for me, a work. Even though it's the best job in the world, it is work. So I don't feel I can have them hanging around me because I'm there to work. And I should have thought then, Cracky, this must be something different because she's going to see a game in a fan zone in Cardiff. Yeah. And they had a brilliant time. And... It just, we were in a bubble, weren't we, in Dinard, being mm-hmm. with the, the squad, um, out to the hub of the, the Euros, which I thought was a genius move by the FA of Wales. Great facilities. Players could walk around the town wherever they wanted. And they weren't always in the glare of the spotlight. 
of the Euros, despite their progress. Uh, even now, I, I still come to terms in some ways just how well, whereas Welsh rugby has always affected the national psyche, football hadn't until then. And I think that's the biggest step forward that football made under, under Chris Coleman. And you as well never forget. Okay, I missed the uh, Robson Carner goal because John Murray was commentating then. But I had the Sam Vokes goal sending, us, sending Wales into, into the semi finals. That, that's what I was going to ask Rob, actually. Um, you know, for people unaware, for you working and commentating on Radio Wales, covering all the games, all the qualifying games, yeah. games in the Euros, and then all of a sudden, for a couple of games, I think I'm right in saying the England game won, yeah. the Belgium game the other, yeah. where Radio Wales had to share broadcasting rights with Radio 5 Live, which yeah. meant you, as a commentator, are used to doing your bit all the game. You then had to share yeah. with John Murray, who's, a, who's an... A brilliant, oh, brilliant commentator. Yeah. Um, but you had to share. Was it what, one half each, yeah? It was half a half each. Okay. So, uh, and, and John is selfless. He would say, which half do you want to do? And uh, I, we, he, he normally started, and I did the second half of each half. Because the build-up is... He yeah. would give you that respect, knowing that you've worked on the games. And as you yeah. get towards also, the end of the game... Uh, towards the end of the game, there's the final whistle, the archive. Yeah. Um, and of course, for Radio Wales, you, you obviously want, ideally, a Welsh accent. It doesn't have to be. And so, but he was just brilliant. He was an absolute... I, I've always got on well with him. I've always rated him as a commentator. He's different to me. He's, he's not the same style of commentator as me. I accept that. But he was just fantastic, and it was just an absolute joy, and it was just one of the joys of of being in a on an adventure that I'll never forget, like you. I mean, and, and I guess you you're watching somebody who, uh, whether you're in awe of them or not, you, you're watching a, a top pro. So you, I guess you gain things. But but you know, to speak about John Murray, I've heard absolute gentlemen. I think guys who yeah. are working for Radio Wales, um, just. Uh, I say just, make parry, you'll be listening in on the sound and stuff like that. And, and these guys received texts off John Murray after the competition, you know, to thank them for their hard work and stuff like that. And They're just, he's just a brilliant commentator and a really, and best of all, he's a top class guy. And I never once felt any uh, animosity towards him or from him. I never once felt any um, sense of, well, I want to do this bit. You know, but we, I were, do were this. you hoping that the goals would come in your little spells? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Of course. <laughs> You're hoping for a drab little 22 and a half minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, and then it all kicks uh, off. Really liven up. Although I have to say, his commentary on the Robson Carno goal, I probably would have screamed. Yeah. But he didn't, he kept it. So I've, I've, I've tried to learn, but it's no point. I, I just shout when needed uh, how I feel. He's totally different, but he's just a just a top bloke and um, it was just an added joy to an absolutely sensational few months for us do you still get the um, do you still get the same buzz these days if you interview and speak to Gareth Bale yeah Aaron Ramsey is it the same buzz as when you first started whether you did Ryan Giggs Mark Hughes you yeah. tell me who who, yeah. uh, who you uh, looked up to even, first, even though you're older now when I first uh, started covering Wales 
we used to go out with like <laughs> Ian Rush, Kevin Ratcliffe, Neville Southall. I was in absolute awe of the. My favourite one always was Mark Hughes. Yeah. And I had the joy of covering him when he was manager, and he was just a top, top bloke to deal with. And actually, now when I see him, always has time. Often get invited to his room after games. Uh, just yeah, he was he was sort of renowned for not answering his phone. So I remember the BBC asked me to do a, a season preview with him as Wales manager. And uh, so I rang him and I said, "Mark, you're right to do this." Yeah, he said, uh, "Ring me at whatever time it was." And I said, you will pick up your phone, won't you? And he said, yeah, of course I will. I said, well, yeah, but Mark, you are known for not picking up your phone. I will pick up my phone. He was on the school run, that was what it was. So, because it was the last day, I had to write it that night. And uh, I rang the phone, didn't answer. Gave him 10 more minutes, picked up. And the first thing he said was, you didn't think I was ignoring you, did you? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, I've always had a lot of time for Sparky, always. And, uh, but yeah, I still get the same. You can't be starstruck. Although, you know, as a player, he was a bit of a legend for me. Um, but shall I tell my little Gareth Bale story? Go on. Well, if you go on my Facebook page, you'll see pictures. Of, I don't do selfies with players very often, but during the Euros. because your arms are too short, Rob. You won't exactly. them both in. You, you got it sorted. So I had to go over to the team hotel to do Ashley Williams and Gareth Bale very early on, before the first game uh, in the Euros. So uh, Gareth Bale was waiting while time we got through security to get into the hotel. Did the interview with him. I said, look, Gareth, I said, I don't often do this, but this is the Euros. Any chance of a selfie? So he said, yeah, Rob, no problem. So we sort of, I moved around to his side. I, I stretched my arm out to take the selfie and he said, Give me a phone, Rob. I got longer arms. There than you, you go. There you go. Brilliant, brilliant. But he's he's just all right, and I'm you know that uh, it helps if you've sort of. I was covering Cardiff City when Chris Gunter was come through. Joe Ledley, Aaron Ramsey. I remember speaking to him after Chase Town in the FA Cup when he. I think it was his first start, and he absolutely ran the game. I remember, yeah. Uh, and Kevin Ratcliffe was sat next to me saying, this kid is something else. Uh, Stan Collymore was there as well, that's all I remember. And he came out afterwards, I think he was only 16, 17, and he did an interview, and I don't think they forget then. Yeah. He was totally different to what he is now, but happy to say that um, they always talk whenever they see you or say hello, you know, and... Uh, Can it affect, I know, I know what your answer's gonna be, but you know, if you really think about it, can it affect your judgment if you're watching a game um, or, or you're speaking about it afterwards, that these players are... If they get on with you. Yeah, they get on with you, they're so high profile. Is there a little voice in the back of your mind thinking, because these players can be sensitive, you know, you say the wrong thing. Yeah. And You'd like uh, to think it doesn't affect you, but actually, subconsciously, it probably does. Because you think, next time I want to speak with them, exactly. you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Exactly. I, I, mean, I know journalists have fallen out with players. Players have said to me, I don't like this guy, I won't speak to him, or whatever. I tend to think it's all blown over afterwards. I, don't think, I, I think there are very few um, 
long-term animosities because football is such a transient game that they move on, you move on sometimes. But what I will say is that, you know, sometimes it's very tempting to have a go at, say, a manager when he's lost his job. Yeah. You must always remember that they could be coming back or turn up at another club. Um, you know, I've always stayed in touch with Frank Burroughs, not so much in recent years, but when he, because he, he was the first manager I dealt with at Cardiff. Mm. Suddenly he pops up at Swansea. Then he's back at Cardiff again. Um, so you're never quite certain when you're going to come across these people in the game, are you? It's the same with players, isn't it? You just never know. And I, and I guess journalism is, is changing. You know, you would say, I, I don't know, your opinion. Is it the same? I, I believe it's changed so much, especially these days where it depends who you work for, but they're after the clickbait, they're after the headlines, <sighs> they're after a um, bit of con controversy um, and big controversial opinions at times and you do a phone-in yeah so the, you know you say you don't want to offend people sometimes a phone-in can it can know, do because you have to go on and you have to say let's use Paul Clement as, as an example on yeah. Swansea they lose on the weekend do you that you then have to go out and say Paul should Paul Clement be sacked and then that opens up you know Paul Clement will find out about that yeah you'd like to think that these days people know that you're just the messenger but it can be misconstrued so for instance we are you know we have put it out there how long has Paul Clement got as Swansea manager I'm pleased to say today Paul Clement is no different than what he was six months ago um, but I think most managers know it's the game these days um, phone-ins are different if I was a manager, I would not listen to a phone-in. Yeah. Or if I were, if I did, I would certainly make sure that, you know, I, I took it with a pinch of salt. People, I go on Twitter afterwards or message boards after I commentate, and there'll be comments on, he's rubbish, what does Rob Phillips know about this or that? They're, I've never blocked anyone on Twitter, ever, because I think they're entitled to their opinion. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I, I do have to be careful on the phone and sometimes that I don't put myself in a position where if I think something has to be said, I will say it, but it's nothing I wouldn't have said in print or online yeah. if I'd had to, you know? Yeah, you're talking there. I can refer back to playing for Bangor, being from Bangor, uh, six, between 16 and 20, <laughs> playing well, being one of the best players. Um, and getting on the forums. I mean, most of the fans were my mates. Yeah. So I'd be looking and thinking, yeah, oh, look at this comment here, lovely. Yeah. Um, you know, just all positive, really. And then you sign for a professional club. And even if you think you've played well, you, you think moving to Swansea then, whatever the crowds are, 15, 16,000, um, even more for bigger games. And it doesn't matter if you think you've played well. That's a lot of people. You're not going to impress all of them. And then the early days... I'd maybe have a little look on the forums and think, oh, bloody hell, I'm going to have to stop this. You know, because it's a different, it's a different ball and game, And as isn't you it? said earlier, you know, if, if you're away from home and you've only got the, well, in the lower divisions, a few hundred watching you, yeah. and then now, say, 3,000 watching, that's still only, you know, that's a small percentage of the people who would see you at home and they're reading the online coverage or the newspaper coverage or hearing the radio coverage. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, Joe's having a poor game today. Oh. One man's opinion. Oh, I must have had a poor game today because they said it on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a good point. It, it is. It, it's, um, but it's all part of it. But you know, you know what we do. We're really lucky to do. You're really lucky to. You've earned it because you've done stuff. You've prepared for the end of your footballing career, so that there's a there's something else to focus on. And I've just been really lucky that I've been able to do something I really enjoy. It's not brilliant every day. And there are times where you've got to say, I can't think of how many managers have asked that they're going to resign or, you know, do you feel under pressure or... But it's just the job, isn't it? And yeah. you like to think that they know it's not personal. You can't get on with everybody, but... Do you... Um, how do you feel about talking about journalism changing mm. and stuff like that? And it is, uh, you know... I, I, I remember speaking to Bryn Law, who works for Sky Sports, has yeah. worked for Sky Sports for, for many years. And the game is changing now. I don't know how much it, it will affect you. Ex-players are starting to get jobs. So Bryn has worked hard throughout his journalism to get to the point he is now. And he starts seeing friends at Sky Sports losing their jobs. But then it's Thierry Henry, it's Jamie Redknapp. Going out, the interviews. going out to do interviews. Mm. You then have, if you look at the Football League on Sky, you've got Scott Minto, um, Prutton yeah. as presenters. Yeah. Keith Andrews is probably going to be the next one. Yeah. That means presenters, good presenters, better ones, don't get the job. You you've, know? Well, I think you've sort of nailed it. I don't have a problem with a former pro asking questions, providing they ask the right questions and they're good at what they do. Because I don't think that I have, have any greater knowledge than you about football. In fact, you probably got more than me. What goes through my mind is, if I was a fan, what would I want to ask now? Mm. You know, fans are very brave when on Twitter they say, you never ask Paul Clement if he's gonna quit. But if I brought Paul Clement to some fans and said, go on, then ask him now. Oh, uh, not sure about that. Yeah, exactly. Or a selfie. No, I don't have a problem with um, football ex-pros uh, doing the job that I think journalists should do. I, not a huge problem with it. I do have some worries that journalism will go for what we've just been talking about. Will those ex-pros have the guts to upset people they knew, they've known for years? Yeah. We have to ask those questions sometimes. I'm not sure all ex-pros do. Now, there are great examples of, for instance, the best one of all, Gary Lineker. Was he as good as Desmond Lynham when he took over the job? Probably not. Is he now? He's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'd, I'd have no, I have no, I don't think there's a, there's, a so-called journalist or reporter or presenter who could do a better job in match of the day yeah. than Gary Lineker. So he's there on merit. He's there on merit. Maybe some could do equally as well. Maybe Gabby, Gabby Logan could do equally as well. Sure she could. People on Sky as well. But actually he's nailed his, his, uh, his role and he's really good at it. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with just because you're out of the game, just out of the game, it doesn't automatically mean that you are able to ask the right questions. As I said, I think the proof is in the, 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 the eating, really, that if, if they ask the, the correct questions and if they're not afraid to upset their mates, don't have a problem. I do feel sorry for those who have to make way for, yeah. just because they're ex-pros, that they're the ones who have to 
be on screen now because I don't think that's always the way. And if you are an ex-pro, again, we spoke earlier about putting the work in, you know, yeah. making sure that you might not be the finished article to start with, but you polish yourself it's off. It's like not all ex-pros can be summarizers. Mm. You know, you do your homework. Ewan Roberts does his homework. Danny Gabadon does his homework. Those sort of people. It's not as easy as just turning it up and talking about a game. You can get away with that. But if you want to be good, you've got to do the prep as well, haven't you? Yeah. You know that. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think Bryn's point, he, he actually used me as an example as well, where I've been out and done interviews with players. And there's probably a different element when you, straight after you retire, it's a different sort of interview, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's for that light-hearted one where the tough questions don't have to be asked to see players these days in a different light. Or more of a worry for me is that these days, I think there's this culture among journalists and reporters that you've got to be aggressive in your questioning. I always mm. say to people, there are more ways of skinning a cat than, than just one way. So, for instance, I think about years ago, I remember we were out in... I think it was Norway. I think it was Norway. Uh, with Mark Hughes in charge. And we, the Wales had gone on this, this run where they hadn't won many. But they'd hardly, I think they'd gone 13 without a win, but they'd drawn loads. So I got a call from somebody back in BBC. I was the pitch side reporter. And um, it was, uh, look, if Wales don't win tonight, we've got to start asking Mark Hughes the questions about his future. I said, all right, okay. So that was in the morning. I'm, I'm sweating all day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm watching the game. I got a feeling. Was it Ryan Giggs sent off in that game? I'm not sure. Or Robbie Savage? I think it was Ryan Giggs was sent off, and we lost. Yeah. Wales lost. I'm thinking, this is going to be a tough one. So it comes to the pitch side interview with Mark Hughes. And um, I don't remember the exact words, but I'm thinking, right, I must ask him about is he going to go? So, Mark, uh, another defeat. Uh, have you still got the hunger for this game? Yeah, yeah, I'm still hungry for the job. So, so. Uh, do you feel you're the right man for the job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, answered it. He answered it really well. And I was coming up with all these different ways of asking him if he was going to resign. Yeah. And in the end, he said, Rob, what are you trying to say? And I said, are you going to resign? He said, no. <laughs> Got there in the end. <laughs> Got there in the end. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and I smile about it now, but I was really het up at the time. But Mark, he's just took it all in his stride and off we went. Were you at the, um, I don't know what your, not favourite trips, but, <clears throat> you know, that you've got the infamous, was it San Marino victory, where Craig Bellamy went off and won at the end? Yeah, that so was Tosh with Gareth Blaney, wasn't it? And, yeah, um, were you there? Were you asking Tosh questions? Yeah. Because remember, he was accusing the players of being pampered from Tosh the Cyprus ranted. game. Tosh ranted. We'd just come from Cyprus where we'd lost and Tosh had refused to do anything. He just had one line and we'd missed it in the press conference. Yeah. Then we spent, that was on the Saturday night. Then on the Sunday, we were all thinking he, he was going to quit. So we got a call from the FAW saying, oh, he's not quitting, he's going to San Marino. Left Cyprus on the Monday, went to San Marino. Tuesday asked the first question and he just went on this long rant about Molly Coddle players, how somebody we always say it was Danny Gavidon, he denies yeah, it, yeah. Had, had one of the players had asked to move rooms because the sea was too loud, Oof, those waves, hotel, those bloody waves, those waves. Um, so that was memorable because 
also memorable, uh, that was in San Marino in Italy when Wales lost four in Bologna and yeah. Bobby Gould ran down the touchline to resign. Right. Uh, that was an interesting one because it wasn't actually a BBC game, it was a Channel 5 game. They packed up and gone. There was still an inquest going on in the dressing room. I was the pitch side reporter. I was waiting for Gould. All the players marked it. But I could see there was something happening because David Collins, who was the Secretary General of the FAW, and Gould were marching in and out of rooms. There was something up. Players were still there ages after the game. Then all the players walked out single file. One or two of them winked at me as if to say there was something happening. Can't talk, I'm not allowed to talk. And then I went back down the pitch side. I said to, there was an Italian director who was watching the, for the satellite. And there was about 10 minutes left on the satellite. And she was getting more and more irate. Look, if he doesn't come soon, this satellite will go. We yeah. won't have him. I said, look, he's coming now. He'll and he resigned on air. Yeah. He said, I just tendered my resignation. I'd heard and I said, what's happened, Bob? And I'll never forget it because... Um, for all the people who used to have a go at Bobby Gould and he made some interesting decisions on players and, and got up to some real funny things off the field as well. He was, he was as good as gold that trip. The only thing was the following day we were on the trip with the team and we didn't know whether he didn't know. He came over to us and said, do you mind if I stand with you because I'm not comfortable being with the squad. Really? Yeah. At the hell. <laughs> do, you, um, do you still enjoy the trips away? How have they changed? Because, you know, for people unaware, from being in the squad, whatever night, whatever afternoon the game is, after the game you relax, maybe you can have a couple of drinks, mm. head out. Whereas for us, maybe that happens the night before, before the game, yeah. where you can relax because everyone's working straight after the game. It's a late What you night. find is, people say it, it's a jolly. It's not. You just work in the day, and then you're, the only time you can eat well, is late be, at you'd night. You'd eat if you were at home, wouldn't you? You've yeah, exactly. you eat somewhere. <clears throat> so the only time you can eat on a trip is late at night when you've done your work, and then you know on the day, talk about preparation, I spend most of the day of the game in my hotel room doing last-minute prep. Yeah probably do too much but as I said to you you know you don't use 90% but you waste nothing and um, so I love those trips I do love them it's great if you've got a day before but uh, and I can't I you know the night before a game you do sometimes stay out late but I can't drink too much because my throat goes gotta look after my throat yeah I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I know you've got work to do, Rob. You've got bulletins to do on the I'm radio. I'm going to talk about Paul Clement and maybe a bit of Chris Coleman for Sunderland, which I certainly don't see coming, uh, don't see happening. But um, You're chasing a story. You're going for the clickbait, aren't you? Yeah, it's... Tell you what, though, this has been different. It's not often I've asked questions. I'm really enjoying it, mate. Good. I'm glad, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. There we have it. Big thanks to Rob Phillips. Good little conversation with him. Different to the norm, different to talking to ex-players, but good to get a little insight into a journalist's viewpoint from the football world. That was quite obviously recorded before Chris Coleman decided to leave for Sunderland. Probably a day or two before, actually. It's good to see Rob hasn't lost his ability to sniff out some breaking news. Couldn't have been more wrong, Rob. Completely dismissed that Chris Coleman would possibly be heading up to the northeast. I think you need to get some new contacts. Anyway, hopefully you enjoyed 
as I always say, please subscribe, leave a review, much appreciated. Until next time, Hoyle Bauer.